I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to The Narrow Show, your home of unfiltered cycling chat. Hopefully the chat you guys are having in your bunches. In today's episode, we're going to ask the question, are local distributors screwing us? Are Jaco Alula the most boring team to watch? Tom Boonen is having a go at Colnago. And how do we make people lifelong cyclists? All right, guys, let's get into it. Righto, so we almost had a week off any gear chat, Jesse. I think we need to fix that this week. What have you noticed in the world of equipment? So I've been shopping, doing some browsing for some 80 millimeter deep wheels. Wanted them for a while, so I was like, you know what, let's go have a look around. And not many brands do them, at least the ones in the price point I'm looking at. So I'm not going, I'm not going for the zips, too expensive. I'm, going, I'm not going for DT Swiss or Swiss side, going for the, the, the more value range. So go on Yolio wheels, they do it, they do us the SAT 88s. Add to cart, put them in there. Go to the checkout, go to fill in my address, country selected drop down, nothing, no Australia. So going through, it's got almost every country besides Australia. So I'm going, what's going on here? I want to buy these. So the price was, it was $14.50 Australian dollars. You get a 10% discount too when you subscribe to their newsletter thing. So it was about $1,350, which is pretty cheap. But then there's no Australia, don't, don't ship here. So I'm going, what's going on here? So then I, I have a look around and then turns out there's there's an Australian distributor for them. Okay, so then click on Yolio Australia, go to their website. They've got them in stock there. Price, twenty two hundred. Ah. So, for the grand privilege of being in Australia, I get to pay fifty percent more for my Chinese carbon wheels. So that was that was a hard no. <laughs> Remove from cart. No thanks. I'll look elsewhere. This is sort of the underlying thing that's going on a little bit with with these brands recently. Um, and a lot of it is just opportunists, you know, entrepreneurs, whoever this particular person is who has obviously gone to YOLO. Great name for a brand. YOLO. YOLO. Roll with YOLO. YOLO. YOLO wheels. Um, and said, look, we'll be, I'll be your distributor. Um, and for, for this brand who's just starting out, like it's a it's a win because they don't lose because the, the distributor essentially buys all these wheels all these wheels and brings them into the country so they've they've got sort of a set amount of wheels that they're going to make which is fantastic they're not relying on the demand of of the country but then that person obviously wants to make a cut Yolio is actually a pretty well known brand like I they when I was looking at wheels they came to mind because they've been around for ages so I don't think it's yeah, they're not just some new startup that has no name. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, uh, okay, so short term, it would be good for them because they can just do a bulk sell to this distributor and get the cash. But I'm not going to buy those wheels now because they're 50% more expensive. So long term, aren't Yolio harming themselves because they could have just, if they didn't go through the have a Australian distributor, I would have bought the wheels directly from them. And then long term... I would have thought they would make more sales. Potentially, this gives more after-sales support for said consumer. You feel a little bit more comfortable. You've got the local distributor who potentially is in your city that you're able to buy with as opposed to just rando internet brand dealing with Derek over the email who will reply every week. And we saw, I think, even with, was it Cam? Cam Nichols is 
calling out the the brand that he was dealing with recently and that was the big issue was not necessarily the product itself but the actual service that they were they were getting so that markup seems a lot because I bought Windspace wheels and the wind from Windspace Australia so it's, probably the similar setup, but the prices were pretty similar compared to the international. So it looks like there's a bit of a <laughs> miscommunication. Like shouldn't the Yolio, if they're selling direct to consumer somewhere, should have the prices where they're a bit closer to the distributor? Because that's the same, like most products we buy come through a distributor and the price that you buy direct from manufacturer is usually pretty close to the distributor price. It's really hard to find the Australian website. Oh, I'm actually re- on this now. It's and hard. I was I was as you were talking, I was kind of like, oh, I'll do what Jesse did. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty blatant. Yeah. yeah. It's like fif- literally 50% more. Yeah. Just quickly, I thought we'd spent the first like 2 months on this show talking about how much you love like shallow depth wheels and the future is shallow depth and now we're sitting here and you're telling me we're going to be buying 80 mils what's going on jesse coils is tom bidcock all over again <laughs> no no no, no. For, for heffron i've i've wanted a set of 80 mils for ages but for dead flat races yeah nearly 80 kilos now so i want to get those things humming along <laughs> snap it down into the 11 and just come rolling through and one of the i've it's just i i'm very easily sold so one of the one of Edwin, one of the local guys here that races, he's got a set of Zip 808s, and I've been looking at him going, "Oh, they look good, don't they? <laughs> and they sound good." That when you change gears, yeah, yeah and the dun dun dun, yeah. it's like, yeah, I want to, I want to. What do you guys think? Local markups from your local distributors, just accept it, move on. Especially in this space, I think this is kind of interesting. Let us know your thoughts, guys. Yeah, did you see what happened with Col uh, Nago and Tom Boonen? A little keep, bit of this. Keep up yeah. on that. Right. So, which was kind of Tom Boonen and his podcast host on that sports podcast kind of shit talked Colnago saying, you know, if, if Tad A was on a S Works or a Cervelo, he'd be, you know, 2K an hour faster or whatever, whatever he said, which is just kind of like podcasty banter. Um, but then the weird thing was Colnago responded, <laughs> which I find really bizarre. So, <laughs> instead of just letting it be a podcast chat and pretending it doesn't exist, they invited Tom Bonin to a, a, a ride before Milan San Remo to test out the bike, get him on there in some weird attempt to kind of win him over. And I was like, I haven't made up my mind. I'm like, is that, a, is that like a really cool move to kind of like recognize that the podcast space and, and, and kind of try and almost like call him out on calling them out? Or, or, or should they just totally ignore it and... I think you are underestimating the clout Tom Boonen has in Europe. He would be a top five European cycling celebrity who is not only like has the obviously the reputation, but he's also stayed very current and very relevant in the, in the space. So I, I think this is one of those ones where not all podcasts are created equal. I don't think we can just throw shade at every bike brand and suddenly they'll be getting giving us rides in Girona. But if Tom Boonen has an opinion, I think you do need to answer because he's, yeah, he's a, he's a big deal. He's a big wig. So, yeah, do you, I mean, is someone that's buying a Colnago going to care what Tom Boonen said? I guess the problem was it did make news because like, Cycling News did an article on it and then the headline is like Tom Boonen trashes Colnago on Sportser Podcast. And you're like, oh, here we go. News story about it. Uh, if only we had really good journalists that wouldn't. I'm just kidding. Former pros just dishing it out. I I love it. You see it heaps in other sports. I, I want to. Do you agree? Say, yes, Colnago. It is. <laughs> I'm available from. Um, so, no, I, I don't think so. Huh? No, no. Neither did, neither did I. He's got, but but the, the the way he from what I can from what I read the way he said it wasn't like calling out like a tube shape or, or a specific thing that was slow. He was just like, Colnago about five, ten years behind. Which is just, it was just a funny thing. It's kind of a real kind of like um, bubble chat kind of like, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're not up with, they're behind. But you're actually not calling anything out. You're just kind of like, yeah, they're not as good. Look, the the frame that Tade Pagacha's on is not slowing him down. I mean, we had, we had a good sniff over over Jay's bike when we saw it. That's it's a top end. Like bunch rides, Jesse. Do you call last wheel? Yes. This is a pace line. We're in pace a pace line. line. Yep. This isn't just a coffee shop ride. Do you call last wheel when you're coming back in? 
Every time. Absolutely never do it. What? Staunch, no, no last wheel person. Why don't you like okay. it? So I hate it because I don't want the responsibility of making that mistake. Because I've seen it happen. I've been the person. I called last wheel. And you know what? I wasn't last wheel. And there was someone coming through. person swung out. There was an incident. So for me... I don't want the responsibility. It's a bit like um, on single lane cars when we're driving. I don't do the wave past for vehicles. I just don't want the responsibility. It's up to them. Think okay. I think we're getting confused. I thought maybe you were saying if you're the gatekeeper and you're you're sitting there and you're calling. Yep, yep, yep. Last wheel. Yep, yep, yep. And you're kind of like shepherding, like shepherding the sheep. I've never been a gatekeeper, mate. Oh. Wouldn't know what wouldn't know, <laughs> wouldn't know what you're talking about. You were there for about I'm, 50 minutes I'm too last busy night. Chopping off. I don't have time for any of that rubbish. Uh, so that that person has a very important job to keep calling the people through. And I do think as well, even if you are the guy rolling through, calling last wheel, just check under the shoulder. Okay, the gatekeeper's staying back. Then call the person through. So I do agree. There's a safety aspect. You got to be confident that it truly is last wheel. So, but you have to be pretty experienced to to be like coming through and checking under your shoulder and then making the call. But I'm a fan of the call because if you don't call, then you move forward. That person hasn't realised suddenly. Then the, the line's gone. You've broken the chain. Now, in the pace line, are you an elbow flicker? Yes. Flick the elbow. Never, Come through for your turn. Flick. You roll left or right, and you let the person know. I'm also so I'm a double. I'm elbow flick and then a yep. Yep, because the reason why I do it is I hate the guy that, usually the inexperienced guy that comes across and they're past you and they keep going and they and you're going fucking come over. I need some draft, so I that's what I do. Usually, if someone experienced, I'll flick the elbow and I'll go once they're sort of almost in front of me. I'll go yep to be like fucking ease up and move over so you can keep the chain rolling because I hate the guy that goes like three meters in front. Not an elbow flicker. Don't like an elbow flick. What, what don't so you like about the elbow he's, flick? It's interesting because I'm coming at it from a different angle, right? So what I don't like is when the person in front of me is coming through and they do their turn and they're flicking their friggin' elbow before they've even come over the person in front of them to be sort of like, you know, okay, I've done my, I've done my bit. I've come, I've done my bit. I'm, I'm out. I don't, I don't want to hear it. I just want to see you come through, do your turn. I will come through and do my turn. I don't need to be told... I don't need someone else in my space telling me when I should be coming. But you'd, sometimes you don't know, especially if it's, an up, if it's an uphill turn. Sometimes you come across and you're kind of like, wait, especially if it's a smaller group rolling, are you kind of like, are you going to come? Because sometimes people go through and pull a turn, especially if it's uphill. It can not be as, like when you're on a flat road, you pull your turn, you really back off the power and you can, you can, it's really obvious when your turn is. If it's uphill, it can be hard to know if that person's done with their turn. Nothing wrong with a flick. Don't take offense. People get self. Oh, don't flick your fucking elbow at me. It's just, it's, it's a courtesy flick. No. It's not like a, come on. It's just a, yep. Don't flick. Next one. Do you double elbow for out of the saddle? No. Always. You must what? double elbow. No. You must double elbow. To me, that is, no, 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 no. If you want to get out of the saddle. We should never write. No, I know, right? <laughs> What is the double elbow for? Because all you should do is have proper bike control so that when you stand up, your bike doesn't flick back. Just put a bit more pressure down. You don't need, if you ride your bike properly, you don't need to warn the person behind you you're standing up. I agree. I completely agree. But I would say that 90% of people don't do that. Potentially show some footage from last night of a particular individual who thrusts their bike back uh, when getting out uncontrollably and there was no these ones and I was very very aware of it I personally do it it just gives gives the person behind me a little bit of a warning about what's going to happen because you're you're in the flow you're in the zone and then all of a sudden someone's getting out of the saddle I would probably argue that I get out of the saddle more than you so maybe it's especially on those the the flat sort of stuff that we do so maybe it's something more relevant to me there but yeah no you must double elbow. You must double elbow. Do you know why I don't like it? Is because sometimes people will double elbow like a speed bump or a, or a hazard. So for me, like the double elbow, I'm kind of like, ooh, what, what's going on? And I don't need that if someone's just getting out of the saddle. It was a great moment. And obviously the last one I want to just is, is, is things on the ground. Uh, I want to show a little bit of footage of you and Miles last night just pointing at something that was on the ground. Done as as I would say... Perfectly. Perfectly. No 
fucking thing on the no ground. Thing has gone. There it is on the right. Just middle. Just a <laughs> subtle yet effective notification that there was something. I didn't know it was coming. No idea what was coming. But I was informed there was something coming. I moved away and there it passed me. Perfectly handled by two former neurocontinental riders who are well taught. Do you have a problem with people wearing AirPods in the bungee? We can finally agree on something, Jesse. Unacceptable, completely unacceptable on so many levels. I hate it. I swear every episode we bring up elitist. I'm going to be elitist, right? So Edwin, the guy that is running, he runs the AirPods at the chop. Okay, first thing is it's not a club, right? It is a chop. So there's not that much of a social game to it. You're just rolling turns. You don't even look at the, you don't look at your opponents. It's just, you pull your turn, right? And Edwin is probably the strongest guy there. So when you're the strongest guy there, you got a bit of, like, no one's going to tell you off for doing anything. So, like, he can get away with wearing the headphones because no one's hardly going to say anything. Let's call it for what it is. It's dick swinging. Yep. It's like, I can get away with wearing AirPods. If that's, like, some new bloke, when you'd be like, oh, mate, I'll take your headphones out, mate. Who do you think you are? Whereas, like, you can get away with it if you're the strongest guy. I just hate it. I think it's, <laughs> it's disrespectful. It's so millennial. Um, no, I, I don't like No, actually, from the safety perspective, so... Two weeks ago, I was doing one with, with yourself. Well, no, you weren't there, actually. And Edwin continued to put us in the gutter for no particular reason. And it was getting quite dangerous because it was sort of putting us over towards the car. And we were trying to shout for him to roll the other side. And that's the other thing. When, when you've got you were nicely up, asking him to remove himself yeah, just, from the gutter. <coughs> Sir? Edwin, would you mind? No, no so... I, and I, I stand by this. So I do feel that when you've got the headphones in, you don't really, you can't really gauge where the wind is as well mm, as when you don't. you don't have them in. And he unknowingly was was doing it and continually kept doing it. And then it changes which side to roll. And because on a circle, you are changing which side to roll quite regularly. And he continued to do it the wrong way. And I just thought, this is freaking stupid. Like, like just... Take your earphones out and listen to the shouts and then at least get a sense of how you roll and then maybe put them in. I don't know. So the weird thing is why why do you need music in when you're doing the chop? To me, like the chop is like, or, or you know, rolling a pace line is already the most overstimulating, going so fast, there's shit everywhere. If you can't get motivated to ride hard at a pace line, like... What's wrong with you? Like, what do you need music blasting for? Well, you're the one who said you can't roll out your door without frigging something well, in your ear. I mean, I thought I was bad because I can't do an endurance ride without a podcast in. To not be able to do a chop off without music in, I mean, that's a new level of numbness. Um, all right, guys, let us know down below. What are your uh, paceline rules? I'll also drop the link to the video that I did on that particular paceline as well down below. So we had VC on last week. We didn't really cover much pro cycling, which was all just smoke and mirrors. So Jesse didn't have to face the music when it came to his Tom Pidcock claims the other week. So that's about where we stand on the in-depth uh, pro cycling chat. But we do want to discuss a few little topical things that have popped up. These these dead heats, finish photo finish things. Caleb got somehow. I mean, what are the chances we're finishing within a freaking pubic hair width? And and Caleb manages to do it like two weeks in a row. But uh, so let's chat about it, right? So you, you come into a sprint finish. Uh, now, I just think there's no way that these cameras are accurate enough to split the difference that they're doing. Okay, firstly, they're sprinting. They're probably sprinting seventy plus k an hour if it's a flat sprint finish. So by the time you've got the error of the camera, and now keep in mind, okay, so the, the camera set up at a World Tour race at like UAE Tour, probably pretty good, technically. The camera set up at a point dot .pro race in the back of France somewhere, I'm going like, I don't trust it. And there was some photos of Twitter of the finish line and people are like, the, bloody, the line's not even straight. So the, the, the error of the camera, then the error of the setup, and then the actual difference when you're going 70k an hour to split a pixel width and then decide a winner, I have no faith that what they're spitting out in a lot of these races is true. So if, if, if we kind of do that, what, what do you take on it? Do, do we just take the camera? Do we just trust that they're set up and take that? Should we be giving out more dead heats? Mm. How, does that, how does that dead heat entry get entered into a data system? 
Like if it's on pro cycling stats, do they have a system to... You wouldn't be reinventing the wheel here. Most, like I, I know with alpine skiing, it's pretty common because they, okay. they go down to a thousandth of a second and then once it's there, it's dead heat. So it's it. there is a precedent for it. I don't exactly know what the FIS do. Someone can let me know down below. But it's, yeah, it, there's certainly a precedent for it. And I just think it's ridiculous. Like I looked at that that Kylan thing and it's like, come on, guys. A joke. And the other thing as well in the UCI rules I saw um, on Twitter was officially if it's a dead heat, you decide the winner by doing a one-kilometer time trial between the two people and the winner gets the which is also just as bizarre because you've done this entire race, sprinted it out, and then it's going to come down to a 1K time trial, which just totally changes the parameters of why you won the race in the first place. It's like, what if you dead heat at the top of a hill climb and then suddenly you're doing a kilo on a flat? It's just like they got to come up with a better system. I did a Cootamundra handicap, which is like a state-level race. Like it's not not just a local clubby. So it was a decent state-level race. And... They the the first and second was was super super close super close and they're like oh you got to wait for the wait for the photo finish etc. And I went I went into the the commissaire's room to see them doing it right and I kid you not this is only twenty seventeen twenty eighteen so we're not talking like you know that long ago twenty eighteen I saw them taking the 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 tape out of the VCR. And p- putting it into their VCR player to determine the winner. And they're there with the, you know, you remember the old frame rate? It's literally like the riders are there and then the riders are like <laughs> there. And they were trying to like, well, what could have happened in this? Sort of way? <laughs> so, you know, coming from that in 2018, yes, it's not at a, that sort of level. I'm very skeptical of all this kind of stuff. So I reckon just, yeah, even it out. Let's go for it. Let's go for some dead heats. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of pro racing, Jesse, we need we need a system, okay? We need a system because I have – I sort of changed, I think, the way that I watch pro cycling in the last couple of years. And some of that's just been due to the sort of content that's out there. But I still find myself wasting too much time on stages or races I should never have watched, okay? So it's – Brilliant GCN Racing Plus, whatever it is, we've got access to all these races. And I'm, I'm, I try. So my normal routine, obviously living in Australia, we've got the, the time delay, right? So I try to do the thing where I pretty much social media block any race result that's, let's say, Paris-Nice and Toronto Adriatico, which was happening during last week. I try and social media block any results from that until the point in the, the evening so it's it's not it's kind of like a 20 hour evening yep wow to to watch that result and i'm like sometimes i do it i'm like fantastic brilliant and i get myself and i sit down and watch it and it's a dud it's an absolute dud right so for example it was so the last stage of paris nice last stage of paris nice i'm thinking you know iconic in nice all the rest of it absolutely block yourself out chris and you can go and watch this. Now, I sit down and watch it and it's a total dud. Sorry, Tade, but watching you ride off completely solo is not really doing it for me. Okay. Well, so, but then, but then, right, the other thing, Toronto Adriatico stage six, banger. Stage of the year. Coming out and saying it, stage of the year so far. It was like a mini classic stage. It was a stage you could not do the thing where you like fast forward to the last 10Ks and go, I'll see it. You had to watch at least or get a good grasp of two hours of that race if you really wanted to enjoy it. So here's what I'm suggesting, all right? We need, we need a rating system, okay? Mr. Lantern, we'll, at some point we will hopefully try and get you on here, but we need a rating system from you. And this is what I'm suggesting. In the title of your podcast, I want just a one, two, three, four, five. One, just listen to the podcast. All you need to do is listen to the podcast. You don't need to watch this race. You waiting around all day. Okay, so for those that aren't in Australia, the thing is the races happen in the middle of our night. So we wake up and then Chris is going all day without really going on any social media to avoid it and then watching it at night, which I find crazy because I don't really... Wa- I've, I've, 
I very rarely watch a stage. I'll open it up and or I'll so I'll either just watch the highlights package from GCN Racing YouTube channel or Lantern and and that's it. I'm I'm satisfied. Or I'll just open up the race on GCN player and just go straight to the end and watch the end, right? Because for me, the racing is all about the chat after. I don't want to wait around all day to watch it. I just want to know what happens so then I can go on Twitter or go on Facebook and just get the, the goss about it. But to push back on a little bit, so let's say that, that Toronto stage, which I would argue you should have watched. I as a, as a cycling fan, was it? It, was the, it was like the classic style one. I think it was stage six. It was the one that probably Roglic won it in the end. I think he did. Okay. But it was had cobbled climbs in it. So when they got... Um, it was when the guys were getting uh, time penalties for riding behind bollards. Oh. You know? So there was lots of okay. stories and chat. In, but I'd argue you should have watched that, right? And if you had, if you had a little system, right? So you you opened up your podcast player and you saw Lantern Rouge rated at a five. You'd be like, okay, I'll watch the long highlights. I'll actually, I'll try and watch a little bit more of this. You know, that's all I want. I just want, I want something to then to give me that little bit of insight into whether I need to to go full social media dark because I can't yeah I'm not going to open up Twitter because as soon as I open up Twitter I'll I'll see the I'll see the full flurry of chat about it and I am I will say that I am going more and more the way you watch it in the sense that I just want the I want the snippets. I want the highlights. I basically, I, I want it like NBA. I just sort of want the dunks. But it's basically. so overwhelming, especially like last week when you had Torino and Paris Nice. It's like I don't have that much time in the day to watch all this stuff. So I just want the, I want the good bits. And maybe as well because because I can't get it to cast to my TV. I'm kind of and I don't oh, have. Oh dear! I know, oh, dear. That's an admission on. Oh dear! <laughs> I'm gonna sound like such a boomer. And I don't have an iPad. It's it sounds really weird. I'm either watching on my phone which isn't very good, or watching on my laptop, but then I can't work because I've got the thing on my laptop. I kind of need, because you have the iPad, don't you? I've seen you, you kind of like have the iPad and then maybe like you're cooking dinner and you got the iPad. I think I need, I need a sport, a, a cycling watching device that has the GCN app on it. And then, then I could just set it up and I could be working and have that playing in the background. Maybe that would be something for GCN to do considering that the footage is in their app. You're going there to watch it. It'd be cool if you just bring up GCN. It's got all the races from last night and it's got, yep. It's a one out of five or a five out of five. Watch. That'd be cool. It'd be cool, but they'd never do it because <laughs> they would never put something up and say, don't bother watching. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> it's like, this is, this is a dud. Don't watch it. And also I could just already see the comments under it being like, how dare you rate this a one? I watched nothing. I'd like nothing more than. And to be fair, this probably this whole system does fall down on that in the sense that like my, my Paris stage eight, of, Par- of Tade riding away from everyone, literally couldn't think of anything worse to watch. Whereas you, I want the I want the Tade riding away. Yeah, I'll watch that for sure. So is it a Miller based system or is it a coil based system? I don't know. We need to we need to work that out. Um, yeah, look, let us know down below, Lantern. Uh, let's 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 work on this. Let's work on this system, the rating system. We'll, we'll get something. That negotiation. We'll get something sorted. Sell it to him. Yep, yep. It'll be an algorithm. My last little, my last little pro cycling chat for you today is a bit of a hot take. Oh, I, can, I can't scrub Don't that out. I'm not I hate to that use the word, word hot, no, take. hot take. Bike exchange are becoming, if not already are, the most boring slash predictable team in the World Tour peloton. Okay, so their race tactics seem to come in kind of three or four very, very formulaic pacing for Dylan. And he doesn't win. We uh, look just okay. I want to say this. Sorry. I do want to say this. This is about the process, not the results. Okay. So let break go. Pace back. Sprinter style. Just drop. Matthews. Then we have got the Matthews tactic, which is more of a hilly stage, kind of make it hard for the sprinters, but and then a, a relatively reduced brunch sprint for for Matthews. All right. That's that's Pace. number two. Then then it starts to get into we're, we're riding for Yates. Kind of, almost like we want him on the podium or a top five. And the fourth tactic is a shit show. It's it's what I would have described Nationals as this year. It's what I probably described Paris-Nice as for them, which was just we actually don't know what we're doing and we're sending – we're doing things like we've got Harper and 
um, Yates in the, the finals sort of selection, Harper's going to attack because he's going to ride away. Like, what? What, what? What's the point of that? And you saw all of this at Nationals. Bizarre bridging moves, just very, very strange. So, I don't know, I, I just... And this is probably biased because I do want to see them do well because they are the Australian World Tour team, but they're becoming really, really difficult to follow to the point that I much prefer the way EF ride. I much prefer that style of... Um, tactic, and I would argue they potentially have a very similar team. Okay, they don't have the Grunewagen, but they have a similar-ish roster beyond that and probably have less of a budget than Bike Exchange, I'd also, I'd also argue. So what do you think? I think they probably don't get enough credit for how good they are in the team time trials. Unfortunately, there's not that many of them, but they've kind of been like the leaders in that. Their classics campaigns as well was if you kind of look at their team, especially some of the new guys they've got coming through, it's it does appear like they could have a really good classics team. So maybe they've got it building in the background and we'll see it come forward. Jeez, I'm being way too nice now because I did shit take last two weeks ago. Okay, because in other sports, the the tactics and that kind of stuff, you would, the the managers, the, the staff, the the coach would be the person sort of in the firing line for that. And the reason I wanted to bring this up and talk about it a little bit is I sort of feel like a lot of the time in pro cycling, they get the free pass and it's the riders who seem to be the bear the brunt of any criticism when it, when it comes down to tactics. Or is it the selection of the team? Well, on the DS thing, I actually think there's, okay, I haven't been a DS or raced at World Tour level, so I don't 100% know, but I actually think the opposite. I think... The, the DSs get too much credit for the calls they make. And really, in the thick of it on the road, what they say is kind of doesn't really change much. Of course, if they say, okay, you're gonna, I want you to ride now and the team goes up the front, that's a call. Or, you know, if it's a real black and white call coming from the car, that's a decision. But most of the things that influence the results in a bike race are rider-led. How are they riding in the peloton? Are they wasting energy in the air? Are they drafting well? Are they well positioned? None of that has anything to do with the DS. All the DS can say is, fucking move up, get in position. Totally disagree. No, I, I, I definitely think at, at that level, um, they are being completely dictated to. There, There is no way in hell, Jesse, that, that the pre-race chat in the bus, which is pace for, for Dylan. Or, or pace for Matthews, he chokes in the sprint and gets third because he hesitates. That's Matthew's fault. It's not the DS's fault. You could, I'd argue most of the time I see them not winning. The tactics are okay. It's just they never they just seem not to be able to execute on them. When I say they're boring, it's just it's because that, that's, it's so predictable what they're always going to do. If there's Matthews in there in the race, we know what, we know what they're there to do. Like I just feel like they're not – okay, if, if UAE are there, we know they're there for Tade. That, that's fine. Tade's in the race. But when, when, when EF are there, we don't really know what they're there to do. That's, that's all. I I'm would just... argue with that comes down to roster. Oh, and okay, maybe it is yes. rider choice. Because yes. if you look at bike exchange team, they've got like, they'll have Matthews and then it's like Chris Jensen and Hepburn and just these guys that are just never going to win. Whereas EF, it's, it'll be like Paulus and Betiol yep. and like they have and Court. And then it's like, well, all those guys can win stages. So I think... I would that, that's just a rider selection, and I, I would actually say, even though you said there were similar teams, now I think about it, EF has more winners. I feel again like this. This is a team that is becoming very difficult to follow as an Australian to try and support. I, I think in their classics, I'll be watching them. I think they've they've got something going there with the classics squad with Kelly Bryan and you know all those strong guys, Durbo. Like there's something there. I think. See, I think Kel's a great example. Like Kel, to me, is is a, a superstar in the waking. I really do. And this is kind of what happens a lot with these guys. They seem to just get shoved into this system, and we're we're boring leadout men, or we're we're kind of donkeys to to get Matthews to the end. Like, do you know what I mean? I just this is. It. I just think there's some super talent. I know there's some super talented guys in there, and they just seem to. 
I don't know, like suck the personality of them. Jeez, I'm getting, getting harsh <laughs> yeah. now, aren't I? You were, you, you were coming into this going, I'm just going to keep this very, yeah. you know, very I've moderate. I've managed to not mention Matt White's name once, but now I've mentioned Matt, Matt White's name. No, I, look, I, I think there's some massively talented writers on there. Side to everything, this probably won't make it in, but like the Australian rugby union team, the Wallabies, cop a lot of shit because when they don't play an expansive like Aussie style of rugby, right, which is – more expansive, more more sort of attacking, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's our style. I look at bike exchange and I'm like, what's your style? It's not like I would I would have said an Australian style of racing is that. It's like you know hard, aggressive, you know bar to bar, all the rest of it. I don't th- I think we need to, to show that. On <laughs> I the love world how stage. you're going up them now for not just not getting results, but also not doing it in a style in a stylish enough way. <laughs> I'm a process man. I don't need results. I just want to see them. I just want to see them doing interesting things. All right, so that was our pro cycling wrap up. Sorry, it went a little bit longer than I first thought. I got a bit heated there, didn't I? So let us know who is the most boring team in the pro peloton. Let us know down below. Can we have a little chat? about so i'm glad you sort of brought this stuff up i want to mention um a guy here on youtube who comments a lot on our videos gc performance okay Okay. now um i'll be i'll be honest i actually didn't hadn't discovered his channel until he started commenting our videos and you were like oh gc performance is commenting that's all i'm like that has changed big subscriber big fan and um so I want to I want to sh- well kind of shout him out, but also just quickly talk about the style of stuff that he does because I massively rate it, and that's coming from someone who doesn't particularly like I don't go onto YouTube really to in the cycling stuff to to look at reviews and that kind of thing. It's not it's, I'm more into the kind of story racy vlog stuff, whatever. But I love the so he does two styles of things, which the first is just a very kind of. Um, um, bike shop assessment of a bike that comes in. So great example is he did a recent one on the the, pro, the Scott RC10. I think it's the Addict, and he's it's like he's not reinventing the wheel when it comes to the production value. He's literally <laughs> just standing in a car park with I reckon must be a phone, and he's just talking through the bike. But the talk is exactly what we want to hear. It gives us the specs, it gives us the price, it gives us the weight and he also, he knows his customers and this is what I really, really like because he's a, he's a salesman, like he's a shop owner, he's a salesman, he knows his customers and he knows what they need and he seems to be able to have this ability where he cuts through the bullshit of the marketing jargon. I think that the Scott one was really good because this was like the third tier I think in the addict line and he was like, this bike is really the bike you want if, you know, this is this is the, the angle you want to go. You don't need the bike, which is twice as expensive, that's the, the top end sort of stuff. So um, there's that style of stuff that he does. Um, and the other stuff is his industry chat. And this is kind of the thing mm. that I'm a bit more interested in where he's, he's like sitting in his, mate, clean up behind you. Can you seriously just clean your background up? We're not doing anything special here, but just just tidy that up a bit. But again, he's one of these guys who, again, knows his customers, but also has, and he sees people come, what what people are wanting, what people are buying, but he also has the input from the industry's perspective because he can see the inventory things coming in, the demand from that end, and what, and this is what I love, and what the brands are pushing on him. So he gets an idea of what direction the the industry is taking him. And from from what I understand, the guy is just a like I think you're in Florida. Correct me if I'm below. Um, correct me down below. Sorry. I think he's just a bike shop owner in Florida who's got a YouTube channel. Massive shout to you. I think more bike shops should be doing this. And um, yeah, I, I'm a I am. I know we see this stuff on on our comments and stuff when we talk a little bit about reviews, about being authentic and all this sort of stuff. I think this is how it's done. Mm. I honestly do. I rate it. It's a perfect middle ground, isn't it? Because you've got the the stuff from the brands on the website, so you've got the marketing material. Then you've got your mate that buys the bike, and you know what his chat's going to be like. And so you're missing that middle ground. And now I personally hate going into bike shops, so I'm hardly going to go in and just sort of browse around and kick the tires. So having someone in there that just explains it like that and kind of gives you the bike shop sales pitch of it. I think it's, I agree, totally perfect. That gets right that spot, which 
you and I probably don't. I mean, you go into a bike shops, but it's that sort of chat you don't get. And the other thing he does is he weighs the bikes too. That's the other thing. It's like, well, what does this bike weigh? I don't know. You go on the website, the frame, it's like unpainted with half a pedal in. He just weighs the bike as it comes into the shop and you know what the things actually weigh, which is like, sounds super simple, but really hard information to find. And he, like the stuff, I think he did one on zip wheels about, well, not particularly zip, but the hookless, the hookless system. Oh, yeah. Uh, And he was like, you know, why hookless wheels are are just silly, that kind of thing. Because he sees it. You know, he's in a bike shop. He's seeing these people come in, you know, the mammal who's, you know, friggin' tyres ripped off. And he's like, what the hell is this? You know, I mean, he sees that stuff at that end and I, and I kind of rate that. So, yeah, big big shout to you. Um, obviously, let us know down below, guys, if you're seeing any other channels like this because you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Like this is, this is the sort of stuff that, 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 gets, that gets me going. I'm a big fan of this. If you were to rate cycling in terms of, retention of riders compared to other sports so for example you got guys that comes in okay let's leave out the younger guys if you're under 25 and you kind of get into cycling and then life just takes you a complete other direction and you do something else that's fine but let's say from ages 25 to 50 because i was actually thinking about this because i was i mean the reason i brought this up was i was thinking about well why do people leave but then i was like well does cycling have a retention problem and I, I, I think cycling actually does pretty well. I think like if we're looking at golf or even like CrossFit or running, like I think we do pretty well. Like we do see if someone gets into cycling and they're doing it in their 30s, the chances that they still get on their bike once a fortnight in their 40s is probably pretty high. So I don't think it's a big problem. But I think it's interesting because we've seen people in, in the last six, seven years since we've been riding, they come and then you know, we'll go out front and be like, Oh, whatever happened to old mate? He disappeared. <laughs> never, never to be seen on the bike again. And I thought it'd be interesting to discuss why that happens because, to be honest, like it could happen to me. You know, if you get into the sport in your late 20s or early 30s or something like that, you're probably still athletically pretty top shelf, right? You, you're probably going to get pretty fit. If you get into it, you could get pretty good at the sport. You could have a good FTP. very very competitive if you stay in the sport long enough you will see that drop if you get into the sport later in life 40s and your 50s you're probably not going to see as big a sort of fall off in your athletic ability just because it probably wasn't as high in the first place and i think some of this comes back to power meters like i think about myself right so yeah 10 years ago i think I've been probably riding for about 12 years. So probably nine, eight, seven years ago, six years ago was probably my peak. And not only do I think that, I know that because I have numbers that show me that. In fact, they show me that every single time I get on a bike. And I think it's a big mental block for for people as they get older or as they sort of start to you know, do some training and then not do some training, do some training, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, that number's getting lower and lower and lower. And you just have to accept it and move on. And I do think I do think that kind of maybe just nibbles away at people's sort of mentality in the sport. If you go to the gym, right, and you see someone that's clearly bigger than you, you go, and they're lifting more weights than you. Oh, this guy can bench press 100 kilos, but he's bigger than me, and that's fair enough. Whereas when people are getting into cycling and then they get a power meter, and they're going like, I look the exact same as that guy, but he's doing 1,500 watts, and his threshold's 50 watts more, and it can be really hard mentally to get your head around how someone that looks identical to you is a completely different rider, and I think that plays a bit of mind games. But like, so yeah, in terms of that, I think especially riders that have come in through a social gateway, through a, through a club or through a group of mates. When the power is not going that well, you don't really care because you're riding for other reasons. But there are a lot of people that come into cycling through a training realm and through that mindset. And when that starts to drop off, whether the, if the power starts to drop off, yeah, it can be really hard. And also as well, like hard in the sense of knowing what to do. Like if you're not a riding for social reasons... When it's that time of year when there's no race on and you don't really have anything to train for, I mean, what do you ride? For? What do you ride for? 
Like it's, it's a real thing. And all the content and anything you watch in cycling is all about what to do when you're really motivated and you've got something to train for. Like even my channel, it's like if you're really into training, it's awesome because it's chatting about training. But no one really talks about what to do when there's nothing to do. I do, I do feel, and this is probably a chat we can potentially have with Tyler at some point, is like I do feel that is the, that's the selling point of, of gravel. I do think that because it, a lot of it takes away, it does take away some of the numbersy part of it and there's, there's other aspects to the sport and it starts to build in the adventurism. I mean, we're, this is a show online, so we always kind of head in that direction. But do, do you think like the lack of like cycling heroes could play an impact? Because if you look at our sport, right, the, the heroes, the influencers, the big, the big dogs are all just pros and it's been the same for forever. Like Lance or even before that, like everyone just looked up to the pros and there, there, there isn't much sort of online culture that keeps people hooked in. Whereas in other sports, you've obviously got your pros, but then there's this other level down of like people who you, people get a bit more buy-in for, even though they're potentially not professional. Okay. I don't know. The, the only thing I will say is I think maybe we are underselling what the big wig cycling on YouTube are actually doing. I think maybe we're underselling that. We, we've only just seen like a snippet of this, right? When we had so we had Tyler on, and some of the guys have been commenting. So we had Cam commenting. I think Fraser's uh, Francis, sorry, has commented and stuff like that. And it's been really interesting. Have you seen some of the the comments under when they comment? No. It's real. Like we love you. You know, real um, engagement. Absolute fan boy girlness. And so clearly there is that to to those to those big guys. It's not just, oh, they make a good video, that's nice. There's clearly something else going there. Like, I, I, the, the comments under Cam's comment was fantastic. They were all like, oh, Cam, wow, we love you so much. You know, it's, there's clearly a real sort of assessment there. Again, maybe this is a, this is a chat we can have with, with those guys at some point. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe is that not, like, does that move the needle in terms of keeping people in? Having that, having those community, like on literally online communities again, because again, I kind of bring things back to the fitness industry all the time. But it's because it is a massive freaking industry, and one of the reasons there is that is they're the guys that that aren't even their pros. Like not, you know, who's the Mister Olympia? He's not, he's not even anywhere near the biggest name in the in that fitness industry space. It's all the other guys that are creating these like little micro communities. So yeah, you, you usually ask for comments. I'm going to ask for comments this time, please. I'd be very curious to know if you're, especially if you're someone on the periphery who is just kind of hanging in the road cycling space, let us know what's keeping you in. What, yeah, what are your thoughts on that one? I'd really be keen to hear different people's opinions on what keeps them in cycling. If you could live somewhere, anywhere in the world, purely for cycling, all other life stuff aside, to get access to different types of terrain or different types of rides, what's your dream cycling scenario, place to live? I was I railed against this place for like ten years because I never wanted to go because I thought it was a waste of time because it was too much like where I lived myself. But I gotta say California, mate. I gotta say California. It's got the weather. It's got the mountains. It's got a good cycling culture. Yeah, for me, I could definitely I could definitely get around it. I will check my privilege, right? I think there will be people out there. That say Sydney because we we there are things here that are amazing. So we can race two or three times a week locally. Crits. We've got our the chop in Centennial Park every Thursday and Tuesday nights. Bunch ride for an hour, fantastic. Our club ride scene is crazy. I mean, you go out on a Saturday morning, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a club ride. There are club rides all over the place. So we've got a lot of good things here in Sydney. So I will say that. But if I had to pick somewhere, I would say. I really would love to live somewhere where I can just get on a mount, mountain bike and just go ride a really nice cross-country trail. And the place that comes to mind is when I stayed in Park City, Utah. Uh, obviously, I don't know what I would do in winter, as you said, but the place where we were staying outlooked this, this sort of rolling hills and you could see trails all over the place. And I'm thinking, geez, it would be nice to just hop on the mountain bike one and a half to two hours Go and ride something like that in summer would just be amazing. And it's the, just, it's that, I mean, the grass is always greener, isn't it? It's just that thing that we don't have in Sydney of just no cars, off-road, not super technical. Can I, can I just quickly say, like, again, 
pure, pure life, I would 100% choose somewhere in the Rockies in Colorado. It might be Aspen, might be Snowmass, somewhere like that. Maybe even down down the mountain a bit in Boulder. Again, great cycling community, and like that, I would just love. And they've got they've got bunchies, like they've got proper like chop bunch rides, pace lines. Because I need that. I do yeah. need that. I couldn't just go out and ride a four kilometer, forty kilometer climb every day. I just couldn't do that. So they've got the bunchies, and yeah, just the access to the to the trust, access to mountains, access to adventure that we kind of don't have. See, the Alps don't really do it. No. For me, I'm kind of like, I, I guess people might be expecting us to say like, you know, live in, in the Pyrenees somewhere and, or, you know, in France, so you can go and ride long climbs. I'm like, ah, not really, doesn't really get me. Where, so where is that? So where, where is somewhere where you can go and do an hour long bunch ride at 45K an hour and then go on a mountain bike or from home? I think people in Adelaide would argue. Yeah. Adelaide would argue. Oh, it. Adelaide. Pot, yeah. Do they have good cross country stuff on the mountain? Parts of LA as well. Like there's there's the outskirts of LA. Don't they? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, Safford does the the gravel stuff. So he's, I mean, that's where he is, isn't he? Mm. So he's any any bucket list cycling destination you can think of on the top of your head. While you're thinking, I'll give you mine. Mine is Japan. I would like to go and do some riding in Japan. It was kind of one of my regrets actually from the the team and COVID stuff all just shitting on us that we never got to get over there um but yeah i would definitely love to go do some of some of the riding in that part of the world and there's a cool sort of cycling culture there as well so that's on my bucket list and yeah interesting so i'm i'll stick with asia too, thailand i remember back in the day all, all the vegans used to always go over and do their riding trips um and yeah yeah somewhere like like chiang mai or you know wherever are where you can go and go and ride nice roads good food as well um good weather I would love to do, yeah, something. Let us know, guys, where's your bucket list cycling place or best place in the world when the bike comes first. Just quickly, guys, we had a donation via the super thanks button here on YouTube, and we're hoping to put that to good use in the upcoming future. I'm hoping to get some equipment, which is going to make some of that virtual stuff even better. And hopefully next week you'll see some improvements in that regard. Guys, thank you so much for watching. If you are listening to this on the podcast players, do make sure to leave us a rating. Jesse Cole, thank you so much. Thank you. We will see you super soon. See you soon. next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.